I invite you to pray with me. Father, as we study your written word today, we pray that by your spirit you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear and grace in our hearts to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated. It is a, a joy and a privilege for Terry and me to be with you today. Um, we've had an opportunity to talk to a number of folks in first service and the uh, the fellowship hour in between, so some of you may hear some things be repeated. I hope you'll endure that with a glad heart. Um, I will. <laughs> I don't mind saying things more than once. I was uh, I'm a father of three kids. I'm used to saying things more than once. Um, so uh, one of the things that, uh, that I've, I've shared with, with folks earlier today is that uh, it's actually a great joy for us for a couple of reasons. And uh, one is because we used to pastor in our very first pastorate when we were much younger on the west side of Cleveland. And we were familiar with, with this uh, area of the city and we had folks who lived out in these, these areas. I used to play softball in Avon Lake. Um, maybe I played against some of you, who knows? Um, but uh, that's, a, that's a joy to kind of come back into this area we haven't been in for quite a while, but it's an even greater joy to be here with Father Gene and Kim and uh, Father Scott Katie, and, and just your whole fellowship. I don't know how these things happen or why all they happen, but we've been serving now as a diocesan bishop for a year and about four months, and uh, we've traveled all over the place in Michigan and Indiana and Virginia and all over, and we're just getting around to getting to Cleveland. I, I don't know how all that works, but we're glad it's, it's finally happened, and it is a great joy to be, to be with you all. Uh, it's been a real pleasure and joy of my life to have been a partner with, with Father Gene in ministry. We were serving together as area deans in the diocese and just have tremendous uh, respect for he and Kim and for the ministry among you. And so it's, uh, it's great to be with you today. Um, I, hope some, I hope two or three at the end of the day will say it was great for the bishop to be here today. You know, who knows what anybody else will say. Uh, when, we, when I was uh, coming down this road of being called to, to be the, the bishop, um, one of my mentors was Bishop Bill Murdoch, who uh, is a retired bishop from New England. And uh, he is a fantastic man of God, great like heart, you know, to tell people about Jesus. And uh, as he was getting to know me and, 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 and we had talked through the years and he said, he said, Mark, I want to help you get ready for this thing of being a bishop. But he said, I, I know what's going to happen is I know how you're wired. I know how you've done ministry in the past and the places God's had you and uh, thinking about how things need to be ordered and who needs to be where and all those things. And he said, but you need to, you need to come to understand something about being a bishop is that, is that it's, it's not just about what you will do, it's about who you are. And isn't that true for all of the Christian life? And he said, but it's, it's true this way for bishops because when bishops show up, just by showing up, they are to be a visible sign of the unity of the body of Christ. Because when we, when we consecrate somebody to be a bishop, we consecrate them to serve as a bishop to the whole church, the whole body of Christ. While I have specific duties and, and responsibilities related to the Anglican Diocese of the Great Lakes, I'm part of the College of Bishops for the Anglican Church in North America. I take on other tasks and he said, it's really important that when you show up, you're a visible uh, symbol, a visible witness to the unity of the body of Christ. And so when, when I do show up, I wish you could see 
the folks from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and Kokomo, yeah, when I go to Kokomo to do visitations, the whole way there I'm singing, way down in Kokomo. I know, I know it was a different Kokomo, I just can't stop myself. I just, <laughs> those songs go through my head. Um, you know, Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky, Petoskey, Michigan, in a few weeks we'll be up in Rochester, New York, and, and that's, that's us. We are the body of Christ. Just came home from provincial council, Anglicans from all across North America, Canada, Mexico. That's us. We are one body in Christ. And so I, I, I'm here to tell you we love who you are. We love what you do locally. But always remember that it's bigger than just us. It's, we're, we're part of God's great work in the world. Um, you know, sometimes when we, we, we might look at it around and think, well, we're just a small congregation. What could we do? A little, bu- a little bit like Elijah in the reading, you know, Lord, I'm the only one left. You know, he went through a rough time and it's like, oh, God, you know, I might as well die and go to heaven now. I'm, you know, I'm the only one left. And the Lord had to remind him, no, look, you know, I, I think the Lord reminded him of what the great theologian Vince Lombardi said. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. You know, so here's, here's Elijah all burned out and feeling sorry for himself. And the Lord comes along and goes, okay, come on, Elijah, it's going to be okay. I actually still have 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. And, and he picks him up and he, and he strengthens him to, to come on in service. And so I think sometimes we can do that. We can think, well, we're just a small congregation and what can we do? But remember, you're, you're part of something much bigger and a vital part of it. The second area where bishops are supposed to be a visible sign of unity is to to remind us all that we are part of the body of Christ, not just right now across space, but we're part of the body of Christ throughout time. That there is only one church. In theology class, they refer to this as the church militant and the church triumphant. You know, those who've, who've gone on home to be with the Lord, who've run their race, you know, who've who've received that crown of righteousness, and they're there in the presence of God, but they're that great cloud of witnesses that is rooting us on, and we're part of the church militant. We're on earth. We're still here carrying forth the banner for Christ, and so when we come to the table, you'll hear in the liturgy, you know, that, that we, we sing this song together with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever proclaim your, your glory saying this, singing this song or saying these words. That's who we are. And, and the reason bishops are supposed to represent that is because, because the, the bishops who lay hands to consecrate a bishop are bishops who had hands laid on them, who are bishops who had hands laid on them. And there is a succession going back to that night in the upper room when Jesus looked at the twelve having just risen from the dead that morning and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And, and this means everything to me because I know who I am. And in and of myself, I can't do much for you. You know, like, like, like David said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. But also, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. There's a story I want to tell right now that I'm really disciplining myself not to tell, so we'll have to keep moving. So, um, so it, it's really important that we understand, and I've talked to the confirmands about this today. It's, it's the Lord who wants to pour his spirit on folks. 
And it happens because of the grace of God, not because of who I am. And so um, it's just such a joy in those ways to be with you today. Um, as I mentioned, we just came back from Provincial Council not too long ago. This, these have been challenging years for a number of reasons, the pandemic and other things. But God is at work, and churches are being planted, and Christ is being made known, and it's wonderful to be a part of that. And just this last week, I mean, major cultural shifts, um, something that some of, many of us have been praying for for decades and the overturning of Roe versus Wade, that's not, going to, that's not going to stop all abortion in America, but it is going to have immediate effects in preserving the life of innocent children. And so we have to continue to remain vigilant in love and in, and in grace and good works towards those in need. But uh, we've seen some major things happening. And, and in the midst of all of that, um, you know, it, it's important for me today to remind you that while we see all these things happening in the world, war in Ukraine, major political shifts in the United States, things happening all over the country, we always have to remember that, that the foundation place, with the firm foundation we sang about this morning, is in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the anchor point of our life in all of the shifting sands of, of the world. This is the bedrock. This is the place where we stand secure in Christ and his saving love for us. And I've been thinking about that in this, in this season of Pentecost because uh, we just read recently in Acts chapter 1-8, Jesus says to his disciples, not many days from now, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Um, those are familiar words. We've, we've said them, we've heard them. What I was, what I was uh, interested in seeing again this week was the context in which Jesus said those words. Jesus had risen from the dead for 40 days. He taught them about the kingdom of God. Now he's about to ascend back to the Father. These are some major things that are happening. And, and his disciples, growing up Jewish and understanding the prophecies of the end times, are thinking, man, there's some big stuff that's about to happen. And so they come to him and they say, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? which for them meant there was going to be this great political uprising and the Roman military was going to be driven out and freedom was going to come and all these big political, military, cultural things were going to happen. And when they asked him that question, his response was, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons, but it is for you to know this. Not many days from now, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to receive power to be my witnesses. Yeah, we pay attention to the big things God's doing in the world and we pray for it, but we always have to remember the foundation point is our personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how we live that out in the world that is facing so many multitudes of shifting changes. And so it's, it's a little bit of the, the background of what happens in, in each of the scripture passages today. Major things were happening in, in that season in the life of Elijah. Some new people were about to become king. And in the midst of all of that, God had to strengthen Elijah, bring him back to the bedrock of his faith in God, and then tell him in that strength, go forward and do these things. 
It's, it's what you see in the psalm, in Psalm 16 that we read today, where David's thinking about all the things that have happened in his life, going from shepherd boy to king to being, you know, rebellion of Absalom coming against him, Saul trying to kill him, and yet in all of it, God shows himself faithful and true to David so that he's a man after his own heart. And David, reflecting on that, says, the Lord is my portion and my cup. Surely he is my strength. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. In, in all of the, the vicissitudes of life, the thing that is certain and rock solid is Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is shifting sand. And so we find this also in the passage in Galatians. And I want to just take a moment there with you today. Um, Galatians uh, is a letter that Paul wrote to churches that he established on his first missionary journey. And, uh, you know, Paul was often moving quite quickly from place to place. He did his best to establish people as he moved on, but he often had to go back and, and reestablish and disciple. And, and so he had, he had led these people to Christ and formed them into a church and shortly after he moved on to evangelize in other places, some folks came in, Judaizers, folks who came along and they said, well, it, yeah, this thing about, about knowing Jesus, Yeshua as Messiah is, is okay, but you still have to do all the stuff that's in the law. You're still Jewish people, and, you, and if you're not Jewish people and you're Gentiles coming to faith, you need to, you need to do all the stuff the Jewish people do. And so it's not enough to just say you have faith in Jesus. You have to keep the law. You have to do this. You have to do that. And, and the people began to be shaken in their faith because Paul had preached a pure gospel to them that it was not of works lest we should boast, that it was, it was the, the gift of God through the, the meritorious work of Jesus. And so they're shaken in their faith, and Paul realizes he's got to help them get back on track. He has to help them get reestablished. And so he writes this letter to the Galatians, and, and it's, uh, it's very clear what his purpose is. He opens it by telling them that it is all related. Let me turn there for you. It's all related to getting them back grounded of their faith in the work of Christ on the cross. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. And then Paul begins to share his own personal testimony of how that happened in his life. You remember in the scriptures he says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, born of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Um, he, he did it all in, in vigor to follow and try to be righteous by the keeping of the law and his own good works. And at the end, he had this life-changing encounter on the road to Damascus with Jesus Christ. And he realized that it was not by his works of righteousness, but the, by the fact that God loved him so much that Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for his sins so that he could be forgiven and walk in true freedom. It is an amazing thing. I pray that these scriptures will never become familiar or mundane to us. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, 
that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we could walk in this freedom that Christ gives us. And so Paul shares his testimony of, of, that radically changed his life 180 degrees. He went from hunting Christians down to persecuting them to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he, he shares how deep that work was in his own life toward the end of chapter 2 when he talks about the fact that by the works of the law, no one can be justified. It's all by this gracious work of Jesus. And then he says this is how he's come to understand his life. Familiar verses, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is a, a radical turning of a life. And it's one that I've experienced and I pray that you have experienced as well. And so he, he just, in, in chapter 3, begins to say, don't be foolish. How, how can you start out by faith knowing it's all by the grace of God, a gift that the Spirit of God gives you, and now think that you've got to bring it all to completion by your works. Friends, it is, it is by grace we are saved through faith, not, not of ourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Our salvation is not by works. Our salvation is not by grace plus works. Our salvation is by grace alone, and we are made new creations to carry out the works of God in the world. It's a very different cause and effect relationship, but one that's so important. And so after sharing a few Old Testament examples about the difference between what comes freely by, by promise and what comes by works, he then comes to the heart of it in chapter 5, which we read today, where he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, understand what he's talking about. He says, this is freedom from the flesh. This is freedom from depending on our own good works. This is freedom on trying to be good enough in and of ourselves, smart enough, strong enough to do this on our own. We get trapped into our own little world of, of selfish thoughts and and wrong understanding of how we make our way in the world. This is as old as the Garden of Eden, when God lays out a perfect creation and calls Adam and Eve into a perfect flourishing life, and then the enemy comes along and says, uh, I don't think you need God. I think you can do this on your own. And the Lord knows that too, by the way, and that's why I won't let you eat from that fruit, because he knows that on the day you do, you won't need him anymore. And, and he plays to that, that religious spirit within them, that, that rebellious spirit that thinks, hey, maybe I can do this on my own. Any of us who've ever tried to do it on our own will bear witness to you that it doesn't work out that well. Uh, and I will be happy to share with you the scars that come with trying to be good enough to do it on your own. It is by the mercy and the grace of God that he brings us into this life that he's created us for. And so how does that happen? How do we get into that freedom and how do we stay in that freedom? Three little phrases Paul uses in Galatians in this passage to talk about it. He says, first of all, remember, we walk by the Spirit. 
Later in verse 25, he says, we live by the Spirit. In other words, this, this life we live in following Jesus is not done in human strength and wisdom. It's not done in our works, our good works, or our own righteousness. You know, Paul says that, that it is the Spirit who gives us life. It came by his promise through the work of Christ. In the early church, they, all, they often presented the gospel by saying there's two ways in life. There's the way of life and the way of death. There's the way of right and the way of wrong. And they described it in, in multiple different ways. This is what I learned early in my Christian walk. And when I, when I read about this in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. I lived that way for a long time. I lived that way thinking I was, I was smart enough, good enough, strong enough, good enough with people that, that I could make a way for myself in life until it all crashed and burned because of my own selfishness in the world. I also learned in Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that says there's a different way, which is trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. This is what Jesus meant in the, in the Gospel of John when he's talking to Nicodemus and said, you must be born again because what's born of the flesh is flesh, but what's born of the spirit is spirit. And that's where this new life is in Christ. Paul said in his letter to the Romans that, that if we have not the spirit, we, are not, we don't belong to Christ. When we come by faith, to Jesus Christ and we confess our sins and we put our whole faith in him for forgiveness and life and strength, he sends the Holy Spirit to live inside us, dwell in us and empower us to live for him, which we could never do on our own strength. So Paul says, walk in the spirit, live in the spirit, not counting on the flesh. And then a little farther on, he uses this phrase, he says, for as many as are led by the Spirit. Now, now we're one step a little farther in our maturity in Christ. It's one thing to realize, okay, the life I live is because the gift God has given me. And, and, and uh, you know, what, what often happens with people, there's a, there's a shallow presentation of the gospel where they think the outcome is just to get a person to pray a prayer right, and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I confess it, I need you, and I need your forgiveness. We want people to pray that prayer, but we also want them to live out the rest of their lives what they're praying about that day. For a long time, my understanding was I was trying to, to, to work this idea of faith in Christ where I'd be good enough with him because Jesus died for me that I'd go to heaven when I died as long as I could still do the, what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And, and God just doesn't play that game of let's make a deal. And you notice it with Jesus in the gospel today. People coming up to Jesus, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. But first, I want to go over here and do this. Uh, Lord, I'll follow you wherever. But first, let me go do that. And Jesus loves us too much to let us try to live this double life which is just pain and frustration all the way around. We get enslaved to the, the ways of the things we want to do. And Paul, Paul is saying, we've been set free in Christ. And the freedom comes when we're wholly his and he has all of us. And he leads us into the life that's abundant and full, 
what we were created for. And so he says, be led by the Spirit. And by the way, the path the Spirit is going to lead you on is the path where you'll find in your life things happening like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And if you find that the path of life that you're on, that you're walking on, is full of sexual immorality and sensuality and strife and envy and anger and all these other things, maybe you're not being led by the Spirit the way He wants to lead you. Maybe we've, we've turned off course a little bit and it's time to come back and be led by the Spirit of God. And so He's, he's calling them to not be entrapped and enslaved again to that old way of life, but to stand firm in their faith in Jesus Christ and His saving work. It's the road that leads to life eternal. And so ultimately, as he reminds them of this and calls them back to it, he comes to the very end of chapter 5 and he says this, If then we live by the Spirit, if we've made this decision that we love Jesus, we accept the forgiveness that he gives, and we want him to be the Lord of our lives and follow him all of our days, if we live by the Spirit, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And this is, this is a beautiful picture of what it means to be a Spirit-filled Christian. This is a, the, the, the word literally means it's like a military term for military who march in precision, exactly lockstep, where, there's, where, where we're, we're absolutely in step with God and his desires for our life. You realize Paul tells us that we should have the mind of Christ. You know you can have the mind of Christ? Isn't that an amazing thing? You can, you can think like Jesus thinks? That, that we can, it says in, in Romans 5, that the love of God compels us. So there's a motivation in our heart to love people the way Jesus loves them. It's the most amazing thing. I remember early in my Christian life, you know, I had really surrendered. I'd really given my heart to Jesus all out. I told him I would follow him for the rest of my life because I had made such a mess of it. Even though I had known all my life growing up and been taught the scriptures, I did it my way. I had a rebellious streak in me. Nobody was going to tell me what to do. My parents, you know, ultimately coaches, other people. If I had a nickel for every time I said, it's my life, I'll live it my way, I would be a wealthy bishop today. Uh, I'm wealthy in a lot of things. I have a good life. But, uh, but it, that, was, that was the attitude of my life. And one of the saddest days in my life was when the Lord graciously and lovingly stepped back and said, okay, okay, if that's the way you want to live, it's your choice. And within two years, I ruined my life. I ruined every relationship I had. I broke the hearts of people because I just lived in absolute selfishness. And at the end of it, I was, I was lost and undone. And I came before the Lord and I said, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I, there's, this way seemed right to me, but the end of it is nothing but destruction and death. From now on, I'll commit my way to you, and I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. 
and the and I've, I've learned what the scriptures say when, when the psalmist said, all his paths are peace. There's been stormy times, there have been challenges, there have been heartbreaks, but God has never failed me. God has never failed us. God is faithful and constant. Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I've come to realize that he is trustworthy and worthy of all of my affection, all of my love. Beloved, I just ask you, have you come to a place in your life where you have discovered that the way of life is found in Christ alone? It's not in our, our works. It's not in our ways. It's, it's all by the merit of the work of Jesus Christ, the one who loves us and gave himself for us. Have you come to the place where you know for certain that if you would die today, you would, you would be in the presence of God because of his saving work in your life? It's absolutely vital. It's absolutely crucial. And you may say, well, yeah, you might, be, you might think about that, Bishop. You're 67 years old. You're getting old, you know, the Grim Reaper's at the door kind of thing. Um, a little over one year ago, our youngest son's fiance, 29 years old, died suddenly. This is not a question for the old. This is a question for all. Lauren is a beautiful, vibrant young lady. She'd been raised in the Roman Catholic Church, baptized and confirmed. One weekend, she was not feeling well. And our son went to her house one, one day after she had stayed home from work to find her dead in bed. And she had been ill, and there had been a, a, a very unfortunate combination of medication that there was some underlying heart condition the doctors knew nothing about, and she was gone. Two weeks before Lauren passed away, we were at our other son's wedding. That was the highest of highs in our family, the day Andrew and Laura got married. And we were all together. By this time, Aaron and Lauren had been, had been dating for three years. They were ready to get engaged. Um, she was part of our family. And at, uh, at Andrew and Laura's wedding, um, Lauren jumped in because she was really good. Uh, she was kind of large and in charge. And she was really good at organizing things. And so I said, okay, you're the wedding coordinator. And she jumped in and was there. Just a vibrant personality. And uh, she, hadn't been, she hadn't been real involved recently in the life of the church that she'd been raised in and other things. And so at the, at the close of the service, as we were celebrating the Eucharist, um, I, was, I was serving, and one of the very last people who came in line, I took the host, and I looked up, and it was Lauren. And I looked into her eyes, her beautiful face, and she, knowing what she knew about Christ, she extended her hands, and I put the host in her hand, and some of the very last words I ever said to her in this life, the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserve your body and soul unto everlasting life. And two weeks later, she was gone. What a powerful truth to know that we can trust Christ in life and in death with the fullness of his grace. God is good. He's comforting us and he's strengthening us. And we know, we know that we will see her again. And, and it is so important, I call everyone 
to know you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And if you've veered in any way, if you've gotten weary in well-doing, if you got burned out like Elijah did, or were tempted to first take care of this or take care of that, hear the Savior lovingly say today, follow me, follow me, stay in step, because all my paths for you are peace. As we come to the table today, as folks are confirmed today, we're going to have an opportunity for, for anyone to reaffirm their faith today at the close of this time of confirmation. And perhaps it's a day when you might want to stand and say, Lord, again, I afresh and anew commit myself to be your man, to be your woman, because of your great love and sacrifice for me. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your saving love, for you this indescribable gift of your son Jesus Christ bearing our sins, dying our death, and giving us his life. I pray, Father, for each of us today that we will be unequivocal in our desire to love you and follow you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, help anyone who is yet to make that decision today to say with joy and with confidence, I am deciding to follow Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. We pray in Jesus' name.